So let me ask you this question. Have you ever known anybody that was too good for their own good? You know, in high school, that stunningly beautiful girl that knows she's stunningly beautiful? That athlete that has been exceptionally gifted by the Lord that lets everyone know he's been exceptionally gifted by the Lord? The musician that can do things that cannot even be thought of in your mind who flaunts it for all to see that he knows how good he is. Sometimes we can be too good for our own good, amen? Now the truth is, it's easier to spot that in somebody else than it is in our own lives. And we're going to talk today about a guy who was too good for his own good and didn't realize it until he needed desperate help and refused what was offered. That's a guy that some of you will know. How many of you, when I say the name Naaman, how many of you know that name? Alright? How many of you could tell me the story right now, Naaman? Alright, there are four of us. Good, alright? It's good you came to church today then, right? So Naaman is this story in the Old Testament that's kind of hidden. And here's the interesting thing. We're going to talk about being too good for your own good or how greatness can spoil you. And we're going to do that in the middle of a series called Greater. Where we've talked over the last few weeks about being greater for the Lord. And here's the ironic thing about serving the Lord. The greater you become for the Lord, the less you become. The more it becomes about Him, and the less it becomes about you. You remember a couple of weeks ago we started this series, and we started looking at this verse that Jesus says, this is Jesus, I assure you the one who believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And He will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And this astounding idea that Jesus says that those of us who are followers of His will do greater things than He did. And we've been studying the life of this prophet Elisha who follows the prophet Elijah and in some ways does things that are greater than Elijah. And we've noticed how that it comes from looking out and saying, I've got something God's calling me to do and I'm going to burn the plows, get rid of the past, do away with what's happened back there, and I'm going to move forward with the Lord. And that sometimes it involves digging ditches. You remember that story if you were here where God's going to send the rain, but they've got to dig the ditches to get prepared. And even talking about that we just keep moving forward even when life doesn't turn out like we think it ought to turn out. You just keep pressing forward. Well, this week we're going to talk about one of the most difficult steps in becoming greater. One of the most difficult steps in becoming greater is swallowing our pride and being humbled by the Lord. Story of a guy named Naaman. This is 2 Kings chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn there. If you don't, it's okay. It's a story that's meant to be told and kind of heard. So you can kind of listen along. And we're just going to walk through this story. We're going to look at a couple of things in the midst of it. And we're going to ask some serious questions for ourselves about what it teaches. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 
Naaman. Now, here's what I'll tell you about Naaman. We're going to find this out in a minute, but he had it all. Mostly. It says that he was commander of the army for the king of Aram. He was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, here's a couple things I want you to notice in this. First of all is that this guy has it going. He is the commander of an army, and not just any army, the Aramean army, and not just any Aramean army. He was the guy that won the victory. In fact, he brought victory to Aram. And I think what's interesting here, and even from the outset, we get a picture of something that God's going to teach him, and that is this, that even though he thought he won the victory, who does it say won the victory? The Lord. Now, here's what you have to understand. Aram were not, the Arameans were not people that followed the Lord. They were not people that worshipped the Lord. These are not Israel. This is not Judah. This is not God's covenant people. This is the Arameans. But who does it say still is giving the victory to Aram? The Lord. Now, Naaman gets famous on this victory. He's the commander of the king's army. He's not the king, but he's the commander of the king's army. He's done all this work. He's gotten fame. He's gotten fortune. He is well known. When he walks around, people go, that is an important man. He's one of those guys that people would recognize on the streets. There would be whispers about him as he went by. Do you know what that is? It's kind of like you ever, maybe this has happened to you in Nashville. You're eating somewhere and you see somebody that walks in that you know probably has to be famous. Whether they are or not, you just end up talking at your table. You know who I think that? No, that's not who that is. I think that's who it is. When Naaman was walking through, people I think that's not, that can't be Naaman. He wouldn't be here. Why would Naaman be here? That's him. He had all this going for him. But he had a couple of problems. It says there, the man was a brave warrior, but... You know, when you say a statement like he was a brave warrior and then you add the but, it means something good's not coming, right? He had a skin disease. Now, what was the skin disease back then? Leprosy, right? You know what leprosy is, at least we think it is. It, it causes white splotches. It's literally that it begins to eat away at the skin and nerve cells on your body. There are still places in the world where leprosy is around, and they've studied leprosy. And, you know, leprosy, they would have things, um, your skin would literally at times rot off. In fact, over in some third world countries where leprosy is, and I think I've shared with you this with you in the past, but um, they've investigated leprosy because people's digits were falling off. You know what their digits are, right? Fingers, toes, all that. And they were, well, is, is leprosy calling that, causing that? What they discovered, and if you have eaten breakfast this morning, you might want to just, you know, plug your ears for a moment, is that the nerve endings were so gone in people's fingers that at night as they slept, the rats would gnaw off their fingers. No feeling, white splotches all over your skin, and the bad thing is they thought it was highly contagious. So if you had leprosy, guess what? Nobody wanted to be around you. What's interesting about Naaman is he's so popular, people are still around him. But he knows that won't last very long. Look at verse 2. Aram, 
had gone on raids back and forth from the land of Israel. And you have to understand this. Israel was weakened at this time. They were not what they once were. And so neighboring countries would run in, do a quick strike, take some stuff from them. And one of the things that they took was a young girl who came to serve Naaman's wife. And one day while she's serving Naaman's wife, she says, if only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said, and therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. And here's what I think is interesting. Who did the little girl say would cure him of his disease? The prophet. Who does he send the letter to? The king. It's going to set up a very interesting dynamic. What the king doesn't understand and what he thinks is, oh, if there's somebody that can cure because of their God, it must be the king because in their day, a king was kind of like a priest to their people. So Naaman went and told his master. They got the letter. So he went and took with him Just a little bit of stuff. Around 750 pounds of silver. 150 pounds of gold. And 10 changes of clothes. I'll be honest with you, that sounds like, why the 10 clothes? That's kind of, you know, you got 150 pounds of gold, 750 pounds of silver. What does clothes matter? Well, You have to realize clothing was a lot more valuable then than it is now. I mean, I know some of you guys think your wives spend a lot of money on clothing. But back then, it was really expensive. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. Who did the letter go to? The king. Who does he expect to cure Naaman? The king. If you're the king, don't you have one of those uh uh-oh moments right here? When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God? Killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? And then he says, I know what's happening here. He says, he's picking a fight with me. He said he doesn't want to start a war, but what he wants is for me to say, I can't do this. And he says, see, I tried to settle, I tried to find peace, and it wouldn't work. You left me no resort, we're going to attack. And so they start to get real defensive. I can imagine that as the letter comes, and you know that in the Bible all these stories are condensed. It seems like they happen like five, ten minutes, but it would have taken days. I am sure that in their high-level meetings, they're sitting there talking, and they think to themselves, what in the world are we going to do? We, we can't do anything. We, he wants me to cure him. I can't cure him. And when I can't cure him and I send all this stuff back, they're going to come attack us. we got to start, you know, in their meetings, we got to start getting some defenses ready. You need to, hey, you need to go get your guys. You need to start building the fortress out there. You need to get that ready. They would probably come from this side. So his military guys are thinking, his, his economic guys are, you know, hey, we need to get our women. We need to get our children. We need to get everybody kind of underground. Because the last time they came through, they carted off people back to serve them. We need to start taking precautions for our families. Word, as you can imagine, started to leak out. We, we seem to think that government leaks are a new thing. But word begins to leak out. 
When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel tore his clothes, he sent a message. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. Here's the first thing that I kind of want to point out, all right? And this is something we'll see play out in the rest of the story, but whenever God asks us to do something, whenever God asks us to be obedient, there is always more at stake than we think. There is always something more at stake. Why did Naaman come to the king of Israel? He wanted what? He wanted to be healed, right? He wanted his leprosy gone. He wanted to be able to go back and enjoy the fame and the fortune he had. The only problem he saw was he had this disease. And his thinking is, I've heard that somebody might could heal me. I want to go be healed. The king of Israel thinks, oh my goodness, I can't heal him. What am I going to do? There's nothing I can do. There must be something bigger at stake here. And I just want to avoid war. But what does Elisha say it's about? Elisha says... Send him to me, and when I'm done, he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, you may remember this, or you may know this, but in their day and time, each country thought they had their own God. In fact, they believe in the gods of real estate. As in, this dirt is owned by that God. And what Elisha wants him to understand is he has tried in his own land using his false gods to come to a fullness, a wellness, a healing. And what I want him to understand is that Yahweh is God. The Lord is God. Not his little puny gods over there. Not the fake gods he's been worshiping. What I want is for him. And if he knows, his king will know. And if his king knows, his people will know that there is a true prophet of a true God in Israel. You see, when you begin to read this, it almost sounds like just a nice little story about a guy with leprosy, as you know the ending probably, gets healed. But it's about so much more than that. And here's the thing I want you to realize, and we're going to talk about obedience, and we're going to talk about humility, but I want you to realize this, at every moment in your life that you are faced with a decision about whether or not to obey the Lord, there is always something more at stake than what you can see in your immediate circumstances or issues. There is always something bigger, heavier, weightier, grander than what you can envision. The king just wanted to get out of the war. Elisha's thinking it's an opportunity for God to show himself. So Naaman goes to Elisha. I think this is interesting. Elisha would have lived out, and for lack of a better term, in the boonies. All right, No one would have been around. Verse 9 says, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood there at the door of Elisha's house. I want you to understand, it would have looked like a war contingent was coming. An army. When you've got this gold, you've got chariots, you've got the commander of the Aramean army coming to this house. As they're going, people are scattering, hiding, getting out of the way. And as they pull up to 
where they're going. I love verse 10. Naaman, as one uh, pastor I read this week called him, Captain Awesome Sauce. You know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Anybody know what was the greatest thing before sliced bread? He was the greatest thing since it. Well, I guess he was before it, all right? This unbelievable guy comes to the prophet's door out in the middle of nowhere, and what does Elisha do? He sends a messenger. He didn't go meet him. Right? It says Elisha sends out a messenger to this great contingent. He doesn't even go to see him. You think Naaman took that as a little bit of a slap in the face? Yeah. We'll see that in a minute. So the messenger goes out. You can imagine the messenger going, listen, guys, I'm, I'm just the messenger. Um, but... Um, Elisha says, you need to go down to the, you know, back where you just came from, there's that river, the Jordan, that, that river. You need to go back to that river, and you need to just kind of squat down in the river seven times, and everything will be all right. Naaman's not very happy with that. In fact, the messenger, it tells us, kind of leaves, in verse 11 it says, but Naaman got angry. I was telling myself, he will surely come out. I love what Naaman says. I thought we were going to have a show here. I mean, I thought he was going to come out and he was going to stand out there and call the name of Yahweh and wave his hand over the spot. I thought there were going to be fireworks. I thought that there was going to be dancing and screaming and people were going to be, Oh, look at that! I thought he was going to bring me up on stage and hit me over the forehead and cure the skin disease like that. You didn't know there was some of that in the Bible, did you? Verse 12, he says this. Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I think he thinks a little bit of where he's from there. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. Naaman expresses here something that if we're honest with ourselves, all of us at some point in our lives want. And that is, he wants an explanation for why he ought to do what God told him to do. And the truth is, most of us think at some point in our lives, we deserve it. Naaman says, I just need an explanation here. I mean... If it was just jumping in a river, I could have done that back home. You need to tell me, why, why did this not happen the way I thought it ought to happen? God, listen, I know that, I, I know that there are some things you've called me to do financially. I know there's some things you've called me to do in my relationships. I know there's some things you've called me to stretch my mind about. I know there's some things that you want me to do. But Lord, I just, I just need you to tell me why first. I just need to tell you to tell me what's going to happen at the end and why I'm supposed to do this. I need you to walk me through this decision before I will step out in faith and obey. What Naaman really shows here is the pride that's in his heart. 
Because what Naaman says is, I'm too good to go into the filthy, muddy river of the Jordan and do that. God, you need to pull up a better way that's more appropriate for me in order for me to obey. Do you know where you can often see your pride? You can often see your pride in your accepts. Well, God, I know you've called me to love everybody and I will accept that one person. Lord, I know you've called me to forgive, and I have forgiven, except that one situation. God, I know that your, your word tells me that I need to be um, obeying you, and I, I, I am. I'm following everything you've asked me to do, except. Or another way is the I will never. Well, I will never. Think about doing that. As a pastor, sometimes I hear it when people come to me and say things like, Pastor, I know you think we need to be looking in this direction or thinking about doing this. And if the church is okay with that, that's fine. But I would never think about it. Lord, I know your word says that all men, you desire to come to know you. And I know your word says that I'm supposed to be part of telling people about you. And I would accept. What are the accepts in your life? Or the I will nevers? What are those things that you think you're too... And you might not say it this way because we're in church. But you're too good for. That's beneath you. That's below you. That's not your work. That's for somebody else. See, it's easy to look at Naaman and go, man, he has got a problem with pride. Just go jump in the river. But every one of us have areas of our lives that we think, well, I wouldn't do that. Here's the reality that Scripture teaches over and over again. God is the only explanation we need. You see, as Americans, we sometimes think of God as our president where we're able to give feedback on what He asks us to do. We don't understand this concept of a sovereign because we don't live in a place run by a king. And so whenever we hear from God, we think, well, <laughs> that's a great idea, God. Let me, let me, just, let me, let me ask you if you thought about this. Now, saying it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Saying to the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, have you really considered this? But we've all been in our own lives in this place where we've tried to rationalize our own behavior that we know is contrary to what God wants us to do, and we think God needs to listen to what we say. But the only reason to obey God is God. Do you know what is a valid explanation from the Lord when He asks us to do something? Because I told you so. Any of you as parents ever use that? You raise your hand right now. You know you have. Look at you out there lying with that hand down. It's one of those phrases, well, I'll never say that to my kid. Yes, you will, about the moment they talk back to you one time, it happens, right? And it just flows. Sounds so good coming out of your mouth. Listen, with God, that's a valid explanation because He is God. He is God. You see, 
One of the problems we have is we live in a sophisticated society where we think we've figured out some things about God. Because we've somehow figured out some of the ways He makes the world work so that I can look on my phone and see today what the forecast is for the next three or four days or that the Weather Prediction Center tells us that this afternoon there's a likelihood that strong storms may be coming and we figured out the weather patterns and we figured out the high pressures and low pressures and they draw those nice red lines with the triangles on them that somehow we think we've diminished God. Just because science has been able to investigate the miracle of reproduction and how God uses human beings to reproduce and has for thousands of years, we think we understand and we can diminish God a little bit. In fact, it's not just that we understand some things, we think we control some things. There are some of us sitting, and there are some things that God has allowed man to understand and to know. There are some of us sitting in this room today who would not be here a hundred or two hundred years ago because we have medical conditions that have just been figured out. And I use the word us because the truth is, 150 years ago, as a type 1 diabetic, I wouldn't be standing before you today. But just because we figured out how to cure some diseases, then we mean we've diminished God. In fact, we're able to circumvent some of God's laws, we think. Next summer, we're going to be taking another trip to Porto Segura, Brazil. And in order to get there, we're going to get on what? But we're sure not driving, I can tell you that. We're going to get on an airplane, and we are going to defy the law of gravity. Right? We think in some ways we're like the kid that's figured out how the magician does his tricks. You remember the first time you saw something and you figured out, oh, that's not really her legs. She's just scrunched up in the first half of the box. He didn't actually cut through her body. And you got it all. There was a show on TV a few years ago that had a mask magician. Anybody see that that showed how they do all the secret tricks and the magicians hated that show. In fact, the guy, when they revealed who it was, he has been banned from magicians' conventions. It's terrible. Remember in The Wizard of Oz when they pull back the curtain? One of my favorite lines of all the movies is, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Here's the thing. God is the same today as He has always been. And the fact that He created the human mind in such a way that we can have generational knowledge where we become smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter is a testament to the glory of His name. you ever thought about that? How many of you have dogs? I'm not going to ask about cats because that's a whole different realm, all right? Do you think your dog is smarter today than his great-great-grandparents? Or is he just a dog? He's a dog, right? Now, I said, oh, he's so cute. You should see. I worked with him for 280 days and finally got him to stand on his back legs and do his little paws like this. He is so smart. No, he's waiting for that treat you got in your hand, right? They don't pass knowledge on, so golden retrievers aren't getting smarter. They're not reading books. They're not conducting scientific experiments. But God created us to do that. 
Here's the reason God gives us that mind. It's because the more we discover, the more we ought to be in awe of who He is. And so when He asks us to do something, all we have to do is say, yes. I love how one of the servants, in boldness, because this was putting their life in their hands, says to Naaman, if he had asked you to do something big, you would have done it. But he didn't. Why don't you just go do what he asked you to do? Here's a truth. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's a truth I want you to hear. There is an intimacy with the Lord that you will only experience by saying yes before you get an explanation. I love this. We're going to finish the story, and then we're going to, we're going to finish. So Naaman went down, verse 14, and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. His skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. I love how it didn't just take him back to right before he got leprosy. It takes him back to childhood. Verse 15, the name of his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, and I love this. Remember the whole point that Elisha had? Remember the bigger picture? Remember there's something more at stake? This is what he says, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. He basically says, I know that there's only one God, and it's the God that's here. Please accept your gift. What is he trying to give Elisha? The gold, the silver, and the clothing. You ever heard the word willpower? Because you're about to see it. All right? Verse 16. As the Lord lives, I stand before Him. I will not accept it. You know why Elisha wouldn't accept the gift? Because he didn't do the work. You know why I'm convinced Elisha didn't come out to see him? is because I, wanted, I think that Elisha wanted him to have as much distance from Elisha the prophet as he could and see that it was the work of the Lord. And Elisha says, I can't take the money because it wasn't me that did it. 17, Naaman asked for this strange thing, alright? Look what Naaman says, alright, I'm not going to give you a gift. Please let me take two mule loads of dirt. Why in the world would he ask for mule loads of dirt? Kind of a strange ending, right? Remember, they believed in the God of real estate? And he says, when I get back home, they're not going to understand. I want this dirt so that when I get home, I can spread it out in my backyard. And in my backyard, I can worship the only true God. Now, we know that God was in the dirt of the Arameans just as much as He's in the dirt of the Israelites. But what this shows to me is a man who, as the kids say, was completely sold out to the Lord. Completely. And it all came from taking a little dip in a river. What's the Lord asking you to do? What's the big or little thing that God's asking you to do in obedience to Him? Can I tell you something? If you're waiting for an explanation, probably not coming. If you're waiting to see how it's going to turn out, don't wait. For some of you in this room, there is something that God has laid on your heart and you know it's been there. 
a relationship involved that you need to get out of or you need to repair or you need to work on, a letter you need to send, an email you need to put finally in motion, a phone call you need to make, a financial decision that is scaring you to death, a career decision that is making you shake. What is the Lord calling you to do? And will you say yes? No explanation required. Let's pray.